I have three thoughts for today. Um, I recognize not everyone in the audience is unrested, but many are. And so I will be brief. As I can be. There's, there's no woos on that, for real. And so, um, and I will um, just share, and I, I really want to pointedly say to us, there is some important things about revival that we should think about, ponder, and more importantly, do. And as I was praying about this, I just have had such a joy in the Spirit of God as I've considered what would be some things we should think about God in light of this, um, in light of this reality. Hebrews 12, as you know, comes after Hebrews 11. It's just amazing how that works. And so, I'm um, in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's well known as the, um, the heroes of the faith. Yeah, some people are with it. And so it's well known as the heroes of the faith chapter and just these extraordinary stories of God reviving people and saying, I want you to understand this is what is most important. I was rereading again this morning, just Hebrews 11, and it is such an incredible, extraordinary chapter. And if I start talking about this, I won't be brief. But I mean, it just started with there's generosity in worship. When people gather, the first question they ask is, what are you bringing as an offering? And some of you are going to be immediately go, okay, he's talking about tangible money. I am, but more importantly, it was that he said, look, this is prominent in my life. This is first. And the first act of heroism in the faith was that he gave extraordinarily for the sake of the kingdom. And then you move immediately to the second story. If you're going to look at that video and say, you know, draw me a little closer. Um, you don't have to look far. You just look at Enoch. And could this possibly be said of two or three of us in this room? Um, that guy knew the Lord so much that he just no longer existed. So, not ever, I mean, this is, again, it's going to be a little bit harder today, but I want you to just envelop this idea. That if we were looking at this idea of God, therefore, when we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, we want to see revival. We want to fix the compass of our heart. And oh, by the way, God, we want to see a really good video that says, I want to know you more. And what he's saying is, look, I'm going to posture you in Hebrews 11 with a guy named Enoch, who it says of him that he just was no more on this earth. He became so intimate with the Lord that he just fell into him and no one found him on this planet again. Could that become a prayer of revival for us? Just maybe two or three of us were no more. The rest of us are around going, we're testifying about this Enoch or we're going to talk about these people in our church. They just madly love Jesus. And I know that in this room there's skepticism or can you move on to your next point? Except that this happened in scripture and it is a biblical reality. So why wouldn't we say in faith, God, draw us closer to you. Spark within us a radical revolution of your spirit. Draw us close. I mean, this... This is not some story out there or some prayer of our heart or a video. It's a biblical reality in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews or this, this willingness in Abram to go wherever or to see the rescue and reward or to have kingdom focus where it says of us, they didn't necessarily see everything that they were going about on this earth, but there was a greater reward for them. It's the passion of my heart. There are insane faith expressions going on in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Um, I, just one of them is just, when you're going to go to battle, here's a good plan. March around Jericho with the band. Have Carson lead the way. 
It says this to them. It just says, when they had a strategy, Carson, they called up the best instrumentalist. And I, I know I've shared this before, but it's in Hebrews 11 chapter. It says, you should just look and see of the radical statements they made. They didn't look for their own answers. They followed God and there was revival among them. And they sent the musicians out to win the war. I, I just think it's beautiful. Because they just kind of say, this is, this is what will win this, is that we are going to worship God with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we're going to move a little closer, Lord. We want to know you more. And it's, it's just in case you're sitting in this room thinking, um, what about my usefulness in the kingdom? And that's where I want to move to at this moment. Um, look at people like Samson. Samson. Or what title do you wear? Because Rahab, as I read this text, was described as the prostitute, and yet here she is in the heart of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, being used by him for great things. He will redeem us and draw us back. And Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this cloud, and I just want to pause and say, when you read therefore, you should pause and say, what is this about? Because here's here's the great risk of having a moment like this where we have this weekend. I'm afraid if I hit those mics, does it sing back? And so when we have this weekend, have this experiential encounter, or many of you have had these where you had this wow God moment, and then you pause. And, and I was, um, was praying about what revival looks like, and it looks like less like an emotional response or a great weekend, and it looks more like an enduring life in Christ until you walk off this earth, and then you spend eternity enduring in His grace. And so when he says, therefore, this doesn't reflect back to the 11th chapter. It reflects back on the 10th chapter in verses 32 and 36. And what I would suggest to you that we need in this moment is not a weekend. We need a life of following Jesus. We need a group of people who are radical about this. When he says, when he says, therefore, he's saying in chapter 10, verses 32 and 36, you can turn there, it's on the screen. Recall the former days after you were enlightened. Here's what you did. You endured. You had a hard struggle and you suffered. And sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. But you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted. Listen, listen. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a far better possession in an abiding Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence right now, which has a great reward for what you need is endurance. You need to walk and run this race and endure for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ so that when you have done the will of God, you will gain what is promised. And I'm praying for a body of believers, not just students in this room, but for those of us who like the word revival because it's old school, that we will come back and say, God, I don't want an old school thing that happened in my lifetime. I want to endure for the sake of the gospel, and I don't really care what they call it. Here's what I want. Jesus. I want him to come full throttle to me, and I want to elevate him back to that which is most important. And in the 12th chapter, he turns and he says, Therefore, since you were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and this is a huge statement, let us also. This is so beautiful. This is where you just get grafted in. This is a mandate from the kingdom of God. This makes us us also people. We are immediately stepping back into the 11th chapter and say, Us also, Lord. 
Don't stop writing about the epic faith stories. Some of you could physically lift your hand. Some of you could say, God, I do want revival. Us also. Use us also. I know there are good stories as I turn a page, but I would like for you to do this, Lord. I would like you to write the story of your kingdom on our hearts and let us script it across this world. Us also. That's my prayer for us. As we gather this morning, that we would lay aside every weight and every sin which clings to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he begins to say, and and the first thing I would like to say is, as us also people, we must be a people who endure and who say, God, just use us. I just wrote down, we have to set the compass of our life on Jesus. This is um, a powerful thought for me, looking to Jesus who founded our faith, who perfected our faith, and who for the joy set before him endured the cross and its shame and seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're just kind of coming along saying, Lord, us also. And if we're going to be us also, we have to set the compass and say, God, we see that if we're going to endure in this, we must look to Jesus. This is the mandate of the gospel of Christ. I was looking at the story of Moses as one of the heroes of the faith. And Moses in his encounter with the Lord, and I think this is a huge opportunity for us to experience revival right now. In his encounter with the Lord, Moses said, um, it says that he was in the backside of nowhere. He was experiencing a journey with the Lord. He had not had this huge call yet. He was coming into this moment of the call. And the scripture says this, that there was a fire that was raging in a bush. And this description of him moves in this way. And Moses, when he saw this, he stood in his place and God found his man. And I thought that was very powerful for us also to begin to say to God, God, we want to run in the midst of this. I am praying, God, that you would teach us how to set the heart of our compass on the very essence of who you are. How do we experience revival? I am praying for those of us that have walked up to a fire today that we would stop in our tracks and that we would see Jesus. It says of Moses, and this is the problem, is a lot of our experiences with God are blow-by encounters and we're looking for our next, which is important to us. And for Moses to walk in, what we love is the story of radical revolution and millions that are rescued and all of the great things that came within it. The setup for that, the, the, the place of revival for us also was that Moses stopped in his stra- tracks and stood in his place. And then Lacey, you named your band after this moment, which was awesome back in the day, because he stood in his place and then the Lord said, here, here am I, Lord, is what Moses said to him. And the Lord said to him, well, I'm right here as well, and you should stand here for a while. And it said he just stood in his presence, and then here is something powerful. He began to take a step closer, and the Lord said, pause. I want you to take off your shoes because where you're standing right now is holy ground. And if you want to be a part of this us also, and apparently he did and he was because he's in the 11th chapter, what you have to do right now is you have to take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. If we in this room want to experience the Lord, I don't know that this is a fully ripe or accurate interpretation, but you can take it as one. I think the Lord was looking at him and saying, whatever is separating you from me, and right now, it's a shoe. 
I want you to stand. I want your feet to be on the same holy ground as I am. And I want us to have a radical encounter. And there is something very small that is separating from you from me. And I am going to ask you to pause, remove that, and stand in the midst of who I am. And the fire of who I am will guide you. And I believe fully in this room that there are many of us that don't need to go forward with revival. But we need to stop in our tracks and stand before the fire of the Lord and to ask him to consume us with who he is. I, I, know, I, know, I, I know that um, this is applicable to students. We tend to move forward, but I think this is strongly applicable to us as adults that what we don't need is another weekend, what we do need is another encounter with Jesus and another and another and another. And I, I think that I, I just jotted some thoughts to myself and I need to stay on my thoughts. So I, I just, um, I love that this description. So let me come back to the description. It says that he took off his shoes and laid them aside. And I just come asking this very simply, but very profoundly. And I, I believe with all of my heart, I believe this with all of my heart, that this is the setup for a revival. So you can like the shirt and you can like the theme. I'm wondering if you are truly longing for revival. And here's the question. What is it that you need to lay aside so that you can experience the fullness of the living God? I, I have no doubt that there is a fire of the spirit of the living God in this room. I am just wondering what our sandals are that hinder us from the holy ground of his presence. I'm not talking to students, but I am talking to students. I wonder, I wonder if we're going to say, God, revive us again, if we will say, first, excise this from my life. I just, I, I don't think this will be comprehensive. I just wrote, I wonder if indifference needs to be laid aside. Just this, I'm cruising through. I've lost full expectation in the Lord. Preachers preach, he's excited. It's getting to be lunchtime. Stop. You know? I haven't cracked my scripture in months, maybe years, and holy God, I am indifferent right now. And if we are to experience revival, it is not a theme. It is a radical reality of I am going to lay that aside, and more importantly, I am going to be broken of it, and holy God, I'm coming to you for who you are and what you want. There are relationships that are surrounding, and I am explicitly talking to students. You're in relationships that have kept you from the reality of the presence of God. I wonder as a byproduct of this revival encounter, or to say, I want to know you more, if you will lay aside things that are hindering you from knowing Jesus. I just wrote down neglect. Great one for us as adults. I love my traditions and I like this. And I'm wondering if we would lay that aside for a revolution of the Spirit of God. I would like for my faith to be convenient. I'm, I'm asking this, and I'm, I'm, when I was preparing and finishing this Thursday, I just sensed the brokenness in the room. And I'm not positive it's here yet, but I'm praying that there will be brokenness in this room when I ask this question. What needs to be laid aside? I am praying for a Holy Spirit to move across us. What hinders us 
from impassioned revival of the Spirit of God. Moses, we're going to do huge things. But first, take off your sandals because we're standing on holy ground. Lay them aside. I think speaking to the people who surround, and I'll end with this point, not only um, do we look at this scripture and say, I'm looking to Jesus and I'm going to set aside because I want to endure, but I think that courage is contagious. I think that what these students need on the outside of these pews and people in the back is to be able to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. And I think that's contagious for them. I think they're sitting around in a church going, show us a big story. Show us a great God. Show us what it means to follow after him. Demonstrate for us what it means, church. Rise up and tell us, I am laying things aside because I want nothing to hinder me from the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be about. I mean, we, we show them generationally this idea of passion for the things of God. And so may we lay this aside. I believe endurance, or if you will, courage, is courageous. In the 14th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul, there was this description of Paul that was so powerful, and I loved it. Paul is mentoring a young kid named Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, show, I want to show you what it means to follow Jesus. And so he lived it out by preaching it, living it, sharing it, enduring in it. And in the 14th chapter is one of the most prominent places of endurance as Paul has been speaking in the, in the city, and they have stoned Paul and beaten Paul, and he is laying out, and it says that they tossed him out of the city and it's a great descriptive in the 14th chapter of the book of Acts it says and they assumed him to be dead and Paul's laying there and everyone's laying around him and they are just surrounding him and what we need if we're going to experience revival is to lay some things aside and then to come and endure and press forward and Paul was assumed to be dead he is laying outside the gates And Timothy is standing along with a throng of people around him. And Timothy is looking and saying, I don't even know if he's alive. And there's this beautiful moment, and I don't know how it played out, and there's no descriptive details in Scripture, but there's this beautiful moment where apparently Paul, who they thought was death, just breathed in again. And I could picture them just kind of sitting around going, this is extraordinary. We think he might be breathing. And everyone's like high-fiving one another. This is excited about this. We're going to be about this. This is good, Lord. And then Paul just kind of starts to move about. His arms start to move. His legs start to move. And this is the moment that I believe sparks revival among generations. And I'm just praying this, that as generations, we will experience revival. Because Paul is laying, and get the description, they thought he was dead dead he starts to breathe again and then somehow in this slow manner he starts to roll over he just kind of sits on his feet I can picture this as a mature believer he's just kind of sitting there going I don't know if you've ever been and I'm looking at someone who has been in a wreck I don't know if you've ever been in this encounter where you're just sitting there going I don't really know if I'm okay they thought I was dead two minutes ago Paul's just sitting on his hands and knees and he's pushing up And then Timothy, he watches him. And I'm telling you, they're looking for us to do things like this. Paul just simply begins to push up to his knees. He pushes up where he's standing up, still on his knees. And then he stands up and with wobbly legs, if you want to know the picture of endurance and what Timothy's in this room need from the rest of us, Paul's in this room, here's what Paul did. He stood up and it said, I don't know that it said he stumbled, but I picture this. He just started to stumble and move and walk right back into the city. 
That gives me chill bumps. What our students need from their church this weekend is a group of people who they may even look at us right now, we think they're dead. And many of us in this room roll over and say, the passion of my heart, Lord, is that they see me stand up again and they don't have to wonder what the kingdom looks like. All they have to watch is I will stumble, I will walk, I will crawl, or if I die, I will be celebrating on the wing of heaven where I land for the things that God wants to do with me. But here's what they won't see. They won't see indifference. They won't see lack of faith. They won't see, un- they won't see lack of passion. They will see zeal until I leave this earth. They will never think I'm dead. I will stand up and walk back in. Can our students look at the generations around them and see revival as we rise up and walk back in to the call of God? This is a great moment for lots of please Jesus. I just wrote this question. First one was, what do you need to lay aside? And the second one was this. Are you on the ground and thought to be dead? And I think the second question is more important and it will be a hinge point whether we do or do not truly experience revival. Will you roll to your hands and just breathe in the rarefied air of Jesus and rise up and begin to walk again in the fullness of his purpose and ways? Will you believe again? Paul and Timothy are described in Philippians. This is my ending verse. Philippians 1 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, actually this is on down to 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, and he just goes on and talks about this crazy journey. I just love where it starts. Paul and Timothy. He's going to watch me rise up and rise up. And here's why it wins. He says in chapter 1 of Philippians, I want you to know, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Meaning, I'm in prison right now, and I've been essentially beaten multiple times. But here's what's happened to me, is that through the whole palace guard, and everyone else, they know this, and I'm in chains for Jesus. I wrote this in my yellow or red notebook at um, an event I was at last week and said, or uh, a month ago, and said, if I will settle this, the rest of my life will be settled in the faith. And I wrote this sentence. It just said this. Do I see the chains of my life as circumstantial or do I see myself chained to Christ? And I wrote this down. If I'm chained to Jesus, then every other thing that passes my way gets Jesus. I think often, as we pray about revival, we think that we're chained to what's going on around us. I just wrote that down, Lord. I am in chain for Christ. And therefore, here's, here's Paul. Here's what he's saying as he keeps walking back in. So what that I'm in this current prison situation? I'm building a church. You see, they've got two Praetorian guards who are chained to me. 
And they're talking about this Jesus throughout the whole palace guard. And they're starting a church with this whole Praetorian gang. They're not confused. They don't think I'm chained to the prison that I'm in. They see Jesus in the midst of who I am. And my chains are for a greater audience. And I, I believe that we'll see our pain differently, our challenges differently, our suffering differently, our endurance differently, our worship differently, if we'll just gain this reality. I am chained to Christ. And so all that's chained to me gain Christ. I know it's not profound, and I never pretend to be. I'm pretty simple. I've been, I've been praying that for a month. Lord, let me know that my chains are to you. And that if anybody bumps into me, they gain Jesus. That feels like revival. And so I write down these three thoughts, and then we're going to worship for a few minutes. Will you stop in your place before you go? I, I am, man, I'm so praying that this won't be um, a light moment. Will you stand before Jesus before you go? And will you stand in front of his fire again and again and again? Because that's the place of revival. I'm praying that this room is littered with things that we lay aside over the next few minutes as we worship. Will you get back up? Some of you are truly on the ground and believed to be dead. I'm asking you this morning, I'm not like, this isn't a general message for, we hope you get this. I'm asking every person, will you get back up and breathe in the rarefied air? And again, and again, and again. Keep getting up and showing these Timothys in front of us what it means. To... And in doing so, will you remember your chains? I believe fully, if you'll settle these three questions, you cannot stop revival. So we're just going to sing for a little while. There is an altar wide open for laying aside. There is an altar wide open for some of us who need to stand up again. And we're just going to sing a few songs and then we'll call it a day. But how you respond to this will determine, oh, what a day it could be. There's some pastors that will be here at the front if you want someone to pray with you. Lord, let there be just some laying aside, some revolution of hearts, and some remembrance of chains. Would you worship with me, stand, kneel, sit, whatever your response is as we we just move forward in song. Can we worship together for a few moments? Let's sing together. Let's worship together. Let's kneel together. Lord Jesus, stir. Stir.